Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Hi, I'm James Richardson with a quick word on the audio treats The Athletic have in store this season. Three times a week you get the award-winning Totally Football Show with the likes of James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein, Carl Anker and Rory Smith and me. Uh, Mark Chapman hosts The Athletic Football Podcast a flashy four times a week with David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and many others. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast will have all the women's Super League coverage off the back of their brilliant Euros and the offside rule is back too with weekly episodes. That's that's not all. There are eight dedicated club shows. There's Adam Hurry's joyous football cliches show, Michael Cox's insightful athletic football tactics podcast, the offbeat TIFO football podcast, and a revamped football manager show too. Ooh. You can get all of these shows wherever you find your podcast or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Athletic. Hello there and, and welcome. This is the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Thanks for choosing to listen to us today. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our coverage of the Women's European Championship, won by those incredible Lionesses. An absolute pleasure and a privilege to have covered it uh, over the last couple of weeks with Mark, with Michael Cox uh, as well. On today's episode, we're looking forward to the start of the Premier League season and specifically focusing on the three teams that won promotion from the Championship, Fulham, Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest will talk tactical style players to watch and hopefully give you a flavour of what these three teams will bring to the Premier League. I'm Ali Maxwell. With me today, Mark Kerry. Hi, Mark. Hi, Ali. Okay. Really well. Particularly excited to introduce a new member of the team, of the squad. Liam Tharm is with us. Hi, Liam. Hi, Ali. How are you? Really well. You, you are one of the Athletic Summer signings and your title is Football Tactics Writer, which means you're perfect for this podcast. It's great to have <laughs> you on the pod. Uh, how are you finding first few weeks at the Athletic? It's, it's been wonderful so far. I've got to work with some, some great people, uh, Mark included in that, and uh, having a really good time. Just give us and the listeners a, a flavour into your background, into your last few years. What's led you to this point? So like Mark, I'm, I'm coming in really with quite an academic background. Um, I did an undergraduate degree in football coaching and management. I uh, have some experience as sort of a football coach, uh, but over the past year, uh, I've been doing a degree in sports performance analysis, which probably sounds quite fancy, but involves watching a lot of football. Um, and as I think Michael mentioned on, on sort of a previous pod, I'm or spent the last year, sorry, uh, actually working at Brighton in the academy as an analyst there. So uh, working with sort of the next generation of, of Brighton talent was, was really rewarding um, and has hopefully taught me a thing or two about, you know, watching a game of football. So already in, in just a few years, you've had a lot of time on the grass planning and, and taking sessions uh, and also a lot of time breaking things down uh, digitally and, and creating sort of bite-sized chunks for, for players and for coaches to, to learn from. It's uh, That sounds pretty perfect for this podcast, <laughs> to be honest. And obviously being a, a Brighton fan, having worked for Brighton, 
a pretty good club, I would say, to be focused on if you are interested in things like uh, analytics in football, if you're interested in things like um, tactics and match plans and, dare I say it, thoughtful, data-driven recruitment. Uh, Mark, I, I, I won't keep banging on about it, but uh, certainly a very exciting person for us to add to the roster. Absolutely, yeah. And the stuff that Liam's already um, had out on site has been so detailed, uh, so thorough. Um, we've actually collaborated already on a couple of pieces, haven't we, Liam, which, is, which has been great. He's got a real interest in the analytics side, as you say, which, again, is a joy to have. The more people there, the merrier. Um, so, yeah, so excited for, for what's to come for Liam because he's already posted loads of interesting pieces. Well, that's enough of the build-up. Let's see how he performs on the pod. Uh, you know, <laughs> Lord knows there are a lot of signings that make a lot of sense on paper. You know, in the numbers, the eye test, it all stacks up. But you have to perform. You have to perform, Liam. Um, those early articles have been brilliant. Clearly going to add a lot to the Athletics' written coverage. And here we go, Liam Tharm on the pod. Before we get into our main course, we'll just touch on the Community Shield because it was such a busy weekend across English football, uh, across the Women's European Championships final um, let's just remind ourselves of Liverpool 3 Manchester City 1 we can expect to talk about these two teams plenty in the last in the next 9 months just as we did in the last 9-12 uh, months uh, just a couple of quick notables for now Mark why don't you tell me uh, what you saw from Liverpool anything new anything interesting ahead of the new campaign not, not too much new. It was kind of more of the same. I thought that, you know, generally I think these games, the Community Shield games are normally quite slow, but I think this game was played at a really high level, um, higher than normal, I think. I don't know whether it was maybe to do with the fact that it was at the King Power Stadium. I, I don't know what it might have been, but um, I thought Liverpool probably edged it in the performance, not just the, the result, obviously. I think they looked really fit, really sharp. I think City came into it in the second half a little bit more and... I think City were kind of unusually loose in possession, but then you got to, you know, realise that this is kind of a glorified friendly. So take that into account. It's still pre-season. Um, the obvious narrative ended up being the, the Darwin Nunes versus Erling Haaland um, thing, which I, I think, you know, you can understand, but it's literally one game. Um, and there was sort of talk about their contrasting fortunes and things like that. But I think just because Nunes scored and Haaland didn't didn't mean that neither you know didn't mean that Haaland had a, a bad game. He got into some really good positions, and I think it is kind of scary just how how good he's going to be. Yes, he f didn't finish a couple of really big chances, but um, you know if you think of it based on that, you know big chances, xG, things like that, the quality of the positions that he gets into is frightening. I think it just needs to click with City actually being able to uh, to find him and probably find him earlier, which I think is a key point. Off the back of what Mark was saying about uh, the timing sort of of the passes into, into Holland, uh, first off in particular there were a couple where uh, De Bruyne, particularly sort of breaking a bit more from deep, um, had the opportunity to, didn't quite get the pass off, a couple got blocked. Um, I think that then contrasted to when Nunez came on second half, there was one offside where he got slotted in. Um, you know, it did a lot better off crosses than, than Holland, but you know, it's a it's a ridiculously small sample size, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um and the the big thing now for City is um as was highlighted I think in, in John's article um about sort of integrating Haaland is they now may be more of a transitional side than what we've seen before, mm. um, in terms of being a really, really good build up team. Um but I think there were some big flaws for them on the left hand side and we have seen sort of why they're so much in the market for a natural left footed left back. I think Jao Cancelo struggled massively up against Mo Salah. Um inside three minutes, Salah beat him one V one. Um and they ended up doubling up on him really with, with Cancelo and Grealish and that led to uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold being an acres of space for the first goal which you know was a screamer as well um, and there's a good chance of Robertson from, from uh, Trent crossing in space too so probably some work to do there from City but early days. It's interesting isn't it Mark that, that between these two sides it, it feels like Liverpool are going for more of the same it's un they're unlikely to look very different to how they looked last season but with City having um, having let a few recognisable City starters go between Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling and with Haaland coming in it feels like they've got more tweaking to do and I suppose that's exciting in a sense if it, if it works but it's also uh, it's a bit of uncertainty to an extent Yeah and I don't want to kind of use a cliche but it sort of feels like time needed on the training pitch a little mm. bit because you could see just even I haven't watched too many of their pre-season games but just in that game alone you could see that there was just moments where you thought okay well they've, they've looked up that pass was on and maybe the, the run was made by Holland and he didn't have that many touches um, but he doesn't typically as a player anyway but when he was making runs it's sort of those off-ball things that you don't see that the run was there but they didn't quite find him and City liked to kind of build through the phases in a real considered manager uh, sorry let me say that again in a real considered manner but 
I think, yeah, they, they're going to have to maybe be a little bit more transitional, a bit more back to front, just to mix it up as much as anything. I think that's why they've brought in a, a recognised number nine, to be able to, to mix it up and mm. to be able to have a bit more of a battering ram against those sides who maybe sit a bit deeper. You know, they got, I think they had a few occasions where it was, you know, nil-nil or 1-1 against the, the teams who play in a deep block. So they need to be a bit more unpredictable. And I think by bringing, you know, Holland in and, and changing their, their style a little bit, then, then that'll happen. Well, I think it's interesting for us, isn't it? You know, you've got a team who won the league with 93 points, 2.45 PPG, having scored 99 goals, and they're trying to evolve from that point, um, whereas their, their main challenge is maybe going for continuity and more of the same. It, it's it's going to be interesting to watch. OK, from the two teams that finished at the top of the Premier League last season to three teams who were in the championship, we'll talk about Fulham, we'll talk about Bournemouth, we'll talk about Nottingham Forest, who came up through the playoffs. We'll start with the champions, Fulham. Uh, Marco Silva at the helm, a lot of Premier League-centric listeners will remember him from a few different managerial stints in the Premier League, Hull and Watford and, and Everton with... You could argue mixed success with some some good and some not so good, uh, but there's no doubting the grip he got on this Fulham side right from the start of last season, uh, achieving exactly what was expected and in some style as well. Fulham scored 106 goals in, in 46 championship games. They scored 21 goals more from open play than any other team in the league. Uh, Liam, a, a very attractive and attacking style that Fulham played in the championship. The big question is always, how much does a team like that need to adapt or change when they move up to the Premier League? It's a it's a fascinating question. It's massive and it's something I considered, as we'll touch on, I imagine, later, looking at uh, how strikers translate their performance, the top goal scorers in particular, coming up to the Premier League from the Championship. Fulham struggle with this, I think, a lot more in previous seasons and it's been their real downfall to be such an expansive team in the Championship and then to try and do it in the Premier League is, is naturally tougher with the high quality of defences mm -hmm. and they seem to have massively changed their uh, squad as well, sort of both times in terms of bringing uh, a high number of players in, which I suppose creates all difficulties in terms of trying to nail down playing relationships. I think a lot of the success that some of the best strikers um, when they do come up have is, is those assisted goals or combinations. Mm. So they definitely struggled in that regard and tended to flick, I think, a bit more under Scott Parker. They used a back three, I believe, sort of the last time that they came up and, and used some sort of different systems and shapes and sort of struggled to get settled. And I think starting fast is going to be particularly important. We've seen some of the newly promoted teams that have done well definitely do that in, in recent seasons from sort of recent memory. Brentford, I think, started quite well. Um, and that's going to be even more important, I'd imagine, uh, in, in a World Cup season where the season's going to be split and you want to be ending that um, period of time uh, definitely in, in good form. I, I think there's, as well there's an element of, you said about you know adapting or changing, I think there's an element of sticking to the principles that you've got, that have got you there in the first place to a certain extent. But I think it's been the most you know salient examples have been the teams who had a real clear identity or bit of a surprise package in their style when they've come into the Premier League. So you think of Sheffield United in years gone by of you know their overlapping centre-backs, Leeds and their relentless Marcelo Bielsa style of man-marking off the ball and things like that. And and Brentford maximising their use of throw-ins and set-piece routines to to gain an edge. And you saw that from the, the first game, that Friday night game this time last season of just how much they had something just that little bit different. So... I think uh, Scott Parker actually said it for for Bournemouth that if they along the lines of if they play the way they did in the Championship, you know, from a defensive perspective, they will leak goals. So you have to have that pragmatism probably in terms of the defensive side, but especially with Fulham, their their attacking quality, you think well, that attacking quality has got you there in the first place. Try and implement that in the same way and don't kind of regress a little bit. Which when we have seen teams like Norwich, mm. it's sort of they've been neither one nor the other, and it's sort of led to their downfall. So. I think you've got to be a little bit on the front foot. It's so difficult, isn't it? I, I must admit, and it's not Fulham specifically, but it's it's what we've seen with the last few iterations of Norwich City in the Premier League as well. Teams who play that sort of style, I think there are some similarities between their respective promotion teams, four or five of the last few seasons in the Championship. It just seems to be really difficult to impose that sort of technical quite patient possession-based style in the championship and to to evolve that uh, as quickly as you need to to go from games where you're dominating almost every game you play to being used to playing against low blocks and to, to have to find the answers to break them down but realistically only really having to worry mostly about transition attacks on the defensive side of things to realistically being up against it in almost every single game that you will play not having that talent advantage 
And then the very simple fact of just having to defend for much longer periods in a completely different way than you had to defend for the last year. Um, hmm. I, I, I would love to see teams stick with it, a team like, like Fulham, because they did attack so well, Mark. But I just wonder if it's unrealistic. And I wonder whether, you know, that four two three one shape we saw for the most part last season. Liam, do you think the obvious thing for them to do and for teams in their position is to drop the 10 into more of an eight or maybe even a, a, a six type to, to strengthen that midfield and you know hope that that doesn't come with a real drop off in, in terms of what they can do in the final third? No, I think it works both ways. There's obviously the element where you can be more sort of compact in the in the midfield third or defensively and choose to sit a bit deeper. But as Mark said, I think there's no real benefit to massively compromising on style. From a Brighton perspective, when we got promoted uh, back in the 2016-17 season, we were playing front two in the championship, came up and switched to a one. Uh, and Glenn Murray uh, was our top scorer and Pascal Gross played in behind him in sort of a second striker role and uh, had an outstanding number of goals plus assists. So I think it's very possible that teams can sort of do that in both ways. Um, and that can work definitely, definitely either way. I realise as well that I feel a bit of a fraud here. You know, you asking the questions, Ali, I really want to make sure that I my voice is minimal here and the EFL expert definitely gets to, to weigh in here from, from yourself, Ali. But I think the point you made about, yeah, the attack as well and the differences, so adding to the numbers, so Fulham averaged 16.1 shots last season, which was the highest in the championship. And you look at things like their field tilt as well, so that's the, the share of touches in the respective attacking thirds. And Fulham's was... 61%, which was also the highest in the championship. Now, basically backing up the numbers to to your point is that that is simply not going to happen to the same extent in the Premier League this season. So they do have to have, you know, a bit of element of pragmatism, as we said. But I think that's why Brentford did so well to, to maximise set pieces and hone that as a bit more of a closed skill, you know, like rather than maybe a fast break, for example, of, of the likes of Fulham. You're not always going to get those opportunities to do it. So if you can try and get edges in another way, set pieces being so key, of course, then there might be, you know, an element of that as well. But I'm sure we'll come on to the, the exact personnel for Fulham and maybe the losses, obviously Fabio Carvalho leaving, and potential injury problems as well of just how much Fulham are able to even implement what they did last season because of the personnel that they may or may not have. Hi, I'm Peter Rutzler, Fulham writer for The Athletic. I think Fulham will be fascinating to watch tactically this season, uh, mainly because I'm not expecting them to change their approach from how they took on the championship. Of course, that resulted in a, in a lot of goals and a lot of uh, exciting games. Marco Silva likes uh, a 4-3 feed formation or a variation of it. He's been very consistent the way his team plays, you know, with a midfield three that has sort of three different roles that occupy different areas of the field, you know, a classic number six, more of a box-to-box -box number eight next to them, and then a number 10 as well. He just goes that bit further, that bit beyond to get closer to Alexandra Mitrovic. You know, they're very possession-based, a positional style of play, Guardiola-esque, I suppose, if you wanted to put it that way, where the players know their roles, they know different patterns of play, where to be on the pitch, where the ball is in different areas. And within that, there are some really interesting elements that we should still see this season. Uh, one is through their centre-backs. They're really important to the way Silverside progress the ball. They're ball players. Uh, you'll definitely see Tosin Adrabayo making long, arching switch passes that move the ball from left to right, that take the pressure off a little bit. Um, but also committing forwards, trying to create overloads in the middle. And then Alexander Mitrovic. Now, of course, he scored 43 goals last year. He's absolutely vital to the way Fulham play, and, and the system is built around him to score goals. But there is more to his game than just goals. Uh, you'll see him dropping deeper. You'll see him linking the play, drawing out centre-halves, creating space for the runners beyond him, and playing some very good passes too. He had a very good relationship with Harry Wilson last year where he'd play a lovely round-the-corner first-time passes for Wilson to scurry after. So there's lots of different elements. Keep an eye on set pieces as well and work hard on those uh, but whatever happens it should be very interesting especially if they continue to attack the same way they did last year could result in some exciting games but also some difficult ones too but uh, time will tell on that I think the, the obvious name to start with is the name that any neutral will think of when they think of this Fulham side, and that is Alexander Mitrovic uh, up front for Fulham last season in the Championship. We'd already seen him score goals at that level before he went up another level or two at 43 league goals. Uh, a quite astonishing return, the likes of which we, we haven't really seen in, in the, the modern era, if you will. And of course, the big question, Liam, and something that you've taken a lot of time over uh, in the last few weeks is, is to try and 
predict which championship goal scorers can and will translate that form into a similar, albeit reduced, level of goals in the Premier League and which might really struggle for whatever reason to, to recreate that. When you weighed up Mitro, where did you fall on this side of the debate? I think this time he looks like he might be coming up with the potential for a bit more success. I, I believe the last time he came in, into the Premier League, there was a, some injury problems and sort of Fulham style definitely sort of limited his minutes. And I think he only scored three. Um, he scored 11 goals in a, in a previous Premier League season for Fulham and, um, you know, had a, had a lot better return. So the, the availability fundamentally is a massively important thing. You look at that uh, coming off the back of, um, you know, a big season in the Championship now and going into a World Cup season where, you know, who expect to feature there. And that means quite possibly limited minutes. And, and that's definitely, um, you know, staying fit in a more intense league and a tougher league um, all, all these things that all individually I think are quite inc incremental that they're low percentages but you stick them all together and suddenly you know there's a, a, a lot to deal with here um, so for him to make that that transfer um, will, will be really difficult and particularly um, given the injury problems as well um, Harry Wilson was a, a primary creator for him they combined for the, the most goals in terms of an assisted goal score combination in the championship last season. Um, so he'll definitely need sort of that sort of service in terms of a player that can hang those crosses up and those in-swinging crosses often as well from the right um, on, on Harry Wilson's left foot to you know allow Mitro to get on top of defenders and, and really sort of bully them. He's not really, from what I've seen, a sort of run across the six-yard box and, and finish uh, on the run very much a, a standing cross type of player. Yeah, th that... In swinger from the right from Wilson, headed finish from Mitrovic was something that we saw so much last season, and I'm sure can still be a good avenue for Fulham this season in the Premier League. Albeit it, it's hard to imagine him having quite as much success against a higher caliber uh, of defender. The defenders in the Premier League, it's a different level of physicality and and physical strength, as well as the sort of defensive nous and chops and, and positioning and body shape and all that sort of stuff. So of course it's going to be harder for him. But I, I think listeners of the pod will at some point this season see a Mitro header from a, a Wilson in swinging cross. I mean his his finishing ability from headed chances, this is hard to quantify, I imagine, for you guys. But I'm going to say from the eye test is, is up there with any striker I've seen in, uh, you know, even across all football uh, in, in the last five seasons or so, whether it's glances into the far corner, um, skidding thumpers uh, or, or whatever it is, he, he finds so many different ways of scoring with his head. Um, he massively improved his link player this season. I think Marco Silva should take a lot of credit for that. It, it always struck me in previous Championship and Premier League seasons that Mitro was a, a deadly penalty box striker if you could get in the service, but was maybe a net negative outside of that area of the game. He certainly linked very nicely with Fabio Carvalho, albeit a, a player with that sort of intelligence is always going to bring the best out of someone like him. I think that the big question for me remains with Mitro. Is he mobile enough to cope with a, increased time spent out of possession and the energy that that may or may not take out of an attacking player. Uh, and B, increased importance and, and increased examples of, of counter-attacks, attacking transitions and how important they will be for Fulham You know when they've soaked up pressure and when they can find space to play into. Again, Mitro compared to your average Premier League striker is slower, does not run the channels as heartily, does not... You know, is is unlikely to be faster than the majority of the defenders that he's up against, and and I just wonder if that might hurt Fulham and hurt Mitro uh, a little this season. It'd be it'd be certainly interesting to see. I think Tosin, the centre back out of Rabios, is a really interesting one for people to watch this season. Um, he looked way too good for the Championship last season, albeit as discussed, they weren't tested hugely in, in the majority of their games defensively. So if if Tosin can prove himself early on as a robust Premier League defender of quality. Premier League strikers, um, as well as adding value in possession, where he always looks pretty tidy and 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 you know a positive on that sense. I think he could be someone that that, that other clubs will be looking at pretty quickly um, higher up in the the Premier League food chain. In terms of their summer signings, well, Marcus Hill was not very happy with the shape that they start the season in. Uh, he, he said, you know, we've got 16, 17 senior players in our squad. No one can compete at this level with 16. No one can prepare a season with two central defenders at this level. Um, we need f at least five or six players. That is clear. They have added some. Kevin and Babu, Joel Paina, Andres Pereira, Manuel Solomon, and of course Leno, uh, the goalkeeper from Arsenal, was expected to sign uh, very, very shortly. I, I was wondering if you guys could talk me through these signings, um, what you think they add to the Fulham squad, and, and how they might look to attack the Premier League. 
Yeah, I mean, with with Kevin Mbappé, first of all, I think he's a really aggressive runner. Got Champions League experience as well. Very, um, you know, very much likes to to run with the ball, run beyond uh, his man, and, and get a cross in. I think there was already a, an example of that in pre-season where you think he crossed for Mitrovic for a goal. So you can already maybe see a bit of link-up play there, which is um, really encouraging. But I think his stock has probably dropped a little bit since, um, well, from last season. So he had a really good, as did Wolfsburg, 2020-21 season where they got into the Champions League. Um, and then they had a horrendous season last year, finishing 12th. So I think his stock has, has dropped a little bit and maybe there's a couple of more question marks over his name um, this season compared to you know, the start of last season. But I think he'll be, a, you know, he'll get... He'll, get Fulham up the pitch he'll drive forward um, which is what they want and they did that well especially in the second half of uh, last season with Nico Williams coming in on loan as well so um, Babu a very very aggressive runner um, carrier of the ball I think he'll he'll be a good signing Liam what do you make of some of their other additions this summer Fulham I think the biggest hole that they had to fill was the the Fabio Carvalho shaped one in that number 10 that we've already sort of spoken about uh, someone that can help really bring out the quality in Alexandra Mitrovic but also have that transitional ability that can drive with the ball can carry the ball to get them up the pitch and particularly now when you're looking at Harry Wilson being injured you're going to need someone that's got you know real ball carrying expertise so uh, Manuel Solomon and, and Andres Pereira's two sort of advanced um, you know similar positionally attacking midfielders but I think have some slight different quirks in, in the way that they play I, I think Solomon's a really tidy player when I've watched him internationally and a bit in sort of European competition too. Seems to dribble the ball really well with both feet, sort of a good change of pace, uh, quite likes a sort of one versus one draw where he can get at a player and you know draw them in close, sort of make them gravitate towards him and, and speed away. I think a really nice striker of the ball, uh, first and foremost. I, th- I think Fulham massively struggled with goal scoring. Uh, they, I believe uh, the numbers had them as, as second fewest uh, goal scorers, um, or total goals scored, sorry, last time they were in the Premier League. So that is definitely an area where you know they need, even if it's two or three goals, someone to chip in from, um, from someone that isn't Alexandra Mitrovic, not just to pin all sort of their hopes on him. And, and uh, Solomon definitely has a, a penchant for sort of scoring uh, outside the box. And similarly, Andreas Pereira seems to uh, like a strike from distance, but both of those have got... Um, you know, really nice sort of detailed pieces on the athletics. So do go and check those out. Yeah, I think Pereira is an interesting one. Probably another one with a bit of a question mark over his name, especially because he hasn't really, he didn't prove himself in the Premier League with, you know, with Manchester United. He wasn't really a regular and things like that. He's gone away on plenty of loans and and come back. And I, I spoke to to Carl Anker, one of our Manchester United uh, reporters, and he basically said he's, well, to use his exact words, moderate creative skills player. His most outstanding attribute is his stamina levels, which has resulted in stints as an eight and, and as a six. So he's versatile in that regard. You know, you can play him anywhere across the, the midfield. Um, but he said that he's best utilised as an off-the-ball runner from a, maybe a number 10 position. So he said a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, which, you know, you think about the technical skills that Fabio Carvalho had last season. Don't know how well he'll be maybe a like-for-like replacement, but I think it'd be an interesting one because Pereira has quite a lot to, to prove I think in in the Premier League and um, yeah the final one being Joao Palina I think this is a really um, a real coup I think for for Fulham someone with Champions League experience as well um, obviously was quite key in Sporting Lisbon's um, squad last season got them to second in the Primera Liga um, absolutely a, a destroyer of a sort of defensive midfielder he's not necessarily uh, a graceful player on the ball but I think that's sort of fine to say because he's one of those that you don't see all of the hard work that he does and all of the way that he breaks up the play uh, and things like that so I think he'll be key in terms of that protection you know you think of obviously a newly promoted side you need that defensive protection you don't just want to be being able to just storm through the middle of the pitch and I think he'll be key in just being annoying to play against horrible to play against and help then actually set up attacks in in a simple manner so I think that's a real coup um, for that one I think uh, it'll be a really exciting signing for Fulham well this is the Athletic Football Tactics podcast next up Scott Parker Steve Cooper also new Premier League managers with Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest will they thrive like Brentford or drop like Watford like Norwich find out their tactical strengths and weaknesses that's up next This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As a referee restarts the second half, Solanke inside the box. Dominic Solanke! Within seconds of the restart, a huge goal for Bournemouth. Hi, I'm Ahmed Shubal, Bournemouth writer for The Athletic. And there are a couple of interesting tactical tidbits to look out for in the upcoming season. Firstly, Scott Parker has tweaked the formation, going from a possession-heavy 4-3-3 shape that almost looked like a um, a 2-3-5 that we've seen from Manchester City in recent seasons uh, to a more sit-back-and-counter 5-3-2 shape um, that will be reliant on their ability to fashion chances on the counter. The squad has a few versatile players, so Parker can be relatively flexible in his tactical decisions. They've just signed Marcus Tavernier from Middlesbrough, who traditionally uh, plays as a midfielder, but will play mostly at left wing-back for Bournemouth. Philip Billing is another bit of a unicorn in that he can play uh, every position in the midfield, midfield three as a number six, uh, a number eight, um, and even as a number 10, which he did to a very good standard playing off Dominic Solanke last season, getting um, 10 goals and 10 assists in the championship. One last thing I'd mention is Dominic Solanke as well. Um, Not just the fact that he scored a large proportion of Bournemouth's goals last season and will probably do so again this time around, but it's his ability to, to sort of drop between the lines and drop off as a second striker, even as a, as a number 10, which he did on a few occasions last season. He has this real knack in being able to shield the ball on the half turn and, and, and drive Bournemouth up the pitch. And I think that'll catch a few teams off guard. They're used to seeing him, you know, at the end of chances and he will be. But I, I can see the team scoring a few goals on the counter where, you know, Solanke's acting as a pivot almost to spread the play out wide and then make a, a darting run into the box and then, you know, seeding off the move with a nice finish. So, you know, there's a lot to watch out for Bournemouth tactically, whether or not Parker's decision to move to a more conservative style will will keep them up is up for discussion. But uh, I think it will be entertaining to see it all unfold. OK, Liam, let's try and work out Bournemouth. I think it's a, a really interesting one. They are not fancied, certainly by the bookmakers, to stay up this season. Scott Parker in charge, who... I sort of feel like even in being relegated with Fulham last time at this level, maybe picked up some plaudits and and some positivity from the way that he he handled that season, ultimately um, failing to keep them up. Just tell me about Bournemouth last season, their promotion from the Championship. They they did get that second automatic spot. In the end, uh, it, it wasn't always smooth and plain sailing for them, was it? No, I didn't get a chance to really watch too much of them. So I went to, to Ahmed Trubal, our uh, Bournemouth reporter, and this was sort of uh, in the build-up really to, to writing the piece, which is on site comparing the Championship strikers to, to making the jump up. Um, and from what he was sort of saying to me was very much an attacking 4-3-3. They like sort of advanced sort of central midfielders that really push on, making a front five in possession um, and still sort of retain the old sort of famous or what I remember Bournemouth for really under Eddie Howe in the Premier League and having those inverted wingers that you know can be very vertical on the break, be direct to goal. Um, but comparatively, I think, to Fulham, who were incredibly expansive, Bournemouth seemed to be a bit more balanced across the different phases of, of, of the game. Um, a, a decent side in terms of organised possession, a decent side on the break, again, a good side at set pieces. I'm sure um, many will have seen uh, their quick free-kick goal that, that led to, obviously, their eventual promotion. So I think that could possibly be... a, a area where they either stick um, and it's good in the sense of you know the versatility you can break down teams in different ways you can offer more in, in a variety of matches but likewise you might benefit from having a particular um, you know significant skill like, like Mark was speaking about earlier on in terms of Brentford in their set pieces leads in their press so uh, it, it's something that's more of one to watch than anything I can try to predict now um, so excited to see really how that transpires. I think from what I've been reading as well, it looks like they might be changing to to more of a back five for the for the coming season. But I think obviously keeping Parker, I wanted to ask you, Ali, just what you think is a general point, how their style from last season and their principles of play and things like that would maybe translate to the Premier League in the way that Parker likes to to set them up. When you talk about Bournemouth last season finishing second in the Championship, you, you have to explain 
how it happened. They started the season as hot as as any team has done in the last five, ten years of, of championship football. They had 37 points in their first 15 games. That's 2.45 points per game. The same sort of levels that Man City hit over the course of the Premier League season. So they were unbelievable to start the season and in particular they played some really nice attacking stuff with a heavy left-sided bias Uh, the reason it was especially exciting for the neutral was two of the key players in that early part of the season were essentially academy graduates or under 23 players neither of whom had played almost any senior football for anyone let alone for Bournemouth Uh, a left-back called Jordan Zamura really small really enterprising and skillful uh, on the ball uh, and then in front of him a winger called Jaden Anthony a, a right footer uh, played off the left wing who really caught the eye for for his IQ basically playing really clever through balls through to Solanke um, to Billing who was the left-sided central midfielder and would move very you know easily out to the left side and, and they would combine as a three and, and championship defences didn't have any answers to these guys who had come out of nowhere and to Billing, who was a really established championship player at this point. It was so exciting. It was brilliant to watch. But they didn't maintain that beyond October. From the 1st of November onwards, uh, a stretch of 31 games, which is two-thirds of the season, they only had the sixth best record in the whole league. So they weren't, to my eyes, a massively impressive championship outfit in winning promotion. And that has to be a bit of a red flag for me because we know it's such a big step up and at the moment what's the going rate probably one staying up a, a year one one and a half staying up on average per season so that is a bit of a, a red flag for me they have to improve massively they have to love defending they have <laughs> to really get an appetite for it because there's going to be a lot of that and I would say I haven't necessarily seen that uh, and, and going forward well I'm excited because I like Dom Solanke a lot and I, I actually think even if they struggle, I'm pretty confident Solanke will will show in his performances that he's there to stay at Premier League level. Um, it's it, it's all up in the air though with this formation change. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch, that's for sure. I think something that's particularly interesting there, as you mentioned, the formation changes. This is a move that Park has done previously at Fulham in terms of bringing in, um, you know, more defensively minded players, switching to to a back three and having um, obviously more defensive coverage, and then playing with those wing backs. And I think that struggled with Mitrovic in particular. Remembering Ola Aina playing uh, as a right footer, uh, as a wing back for Fulham, and you know, suddenly those crossing angles changed. The pitch looked very different. The, the types of delivery, so whether that will sort of have a massive knock-on effect to how Dom Solanke sort of receives the ball uh, and their attack styles will remain to a Bournemouth as well. I mean, yeah, we talk about the moving to a back three. We have to address the elephant in the room that I think there's only three senior centre-backs that are actually at the club at the moment. So you think even if one of those gets injured throughout the season, which isn't beyond the realms of possibility, that that could then really, you know, put a hole in in their defence. So I think they've lost eight players, eight players uh, either released or, or sold from this summer. So I wouldn't say... That, well, and Parker said as much, they haven't strengthened, which you absolutely need to do if you're going to move up a level. So that's a little bit of a concern, despite their best intentions of maybe changing the style, moving to a back three or back five. Um, they, they need to be very, very careful in terms of making sure that they get bodies through the door, which I think is what, what Parker said. So they need to definitely do that before the end of the summer. Um, but even doing it by the end of the summer is still kind of a bit too late. And mm. I think we sort of saw it with Fulham last time they were in the Premier League. They only started to click I don't know, probably just after Christmas, which was by then a little bit too late. So you don't want Bournemouth to sort of suffer the same fate. And you think of, you know, players like Nat Phillips, who came came in on loan last last season, gone back to Liverpool, and he's not going to be high in, in Liverpool's you know, list of centre-backs. They've got so many good uh, centre-backs that could he be could he be just one that they get back in? I don't know if they're being priced out in terms of just having him uh, back through the door, but they need to make, I think, another signing, another senior signing at centre-back. I think a lot of eyes will be on young defender Lloyd Kelly. I say young defender, he'll turn 24 in the next few months. He's someone with over 100 starts in the championship at such a young age. Someone that Bournemouth bought at a very young age from Bristol City for quite a lot of money when they were in the Premier League, not necessarily at that point to start games for them in the Premier League. In fact, he only made seven starts in their relegation campaign. But over the last two seasons in the Championship became uh, a stalwart of their back line, their captain at quite a young age. He has a lot of things that every club looks for in a centre-back. He is mobile, he can carry the ball, he can pass forward, he's left-footed, he's a good size, very athletic player. 
I'd still say there'll be question marks about him defensively, having maybe not yet been truly tested at the top level. Having said that, you know, he has a lot of tools, as I say, that will catch the eye. And if he can settle, if he can handle the increased level uh, of attacking players he's up against, as well as the responsibility of being captain of this team, it won't be long before people are talking about Lloyd Kelly in the same way that maybe now we're talking about Esri Konza and players like that. Our experience of covering the championship and these players is it does not take very long for them to be talked about, sometimes even in terms of, of England call-ups. And, and people turn their nose up at it because they might not watch the championship very much and they think it can't be nearly as good quality as the Premier League. That is true, but we've seen it time and time again. A championship player, if they can settle, it does not take very long for them to become big, big names at that level. That's what Kelly has to be targeting uh, this season. A, a couple of interesting summer signings that they have made, albeit Parker, like Marco Silva, does not feel like it's enough. Um, was asked if he thinks he's been he's got enough to be competitive. He said, no, not at the moment. I don't feel we are competitive at this present moment in time. It doesn't fill you with confidence. Um, they signed two of the best performers in the championship last season. Joe Rothwell on a free fr from Blackburn Rovers. Um, fun player to watch Rothwell because he's, he's a central midfielder whose main skill is, is dribbling, is ball carrying. Uh, and you, there aren't many of those. Uh, and it's obviously sometimes quite a risky approach in, in the centre of the park. But Rothwell's close ball carrying style is, is excellent. And he racked up a lot of assists last season as well for, for Blackburn as he really improved his game, earns his move to the Premier League. Marcus Tavernier, they've just signed for 10, 12 million pounds from, from Middlesbrough, who certainly would not have wanted to let him go. It's been fantastic for them, particularly over the last six, 12 months. Um, apparently going to play left wing back in, in this system. If they do switch to a three, him and Zamura will vie for, for the left wing back role. It's, Interesting because it's a role that he filled in for for Borough last season, but for the most part he was a an attack-minded number eight. Uh, and so to move up to the Premier League and, and to be earmarked for a position that you haven't played a lot, I find that fascinating transfer. And Ahmed Schubel wrote a great piece on exactly what Bournemouth think they have seen that gives them the confidence he can fulfil a role that he hasn't um, played a lot. It's, it's going to be a really interesting signing. Of course, he can get on the phone to his brother, who plays for mm -hmm. Rangers and asks for tips of playing as a as a fullback, as a wingback. I'm sure he'll have plenty to say. But as you say, Mark, surely centre-back uh, the, the target here. Liam, any other signings you're particularly excited or interested to watch at Premier League level? I think it's more a case for me of seeing how these signings integrate. And as we've mentioned, the potential sort of style changes for, for both teams. They've are both very reliant on a primary goal scorer. Solanke and Mitrovic were both the top two players if you look at the percentage of the team's goals that they scored last season. So, And I'm sure as we will touch on uh, for us very shortly that they were a lot less reliant on sort of their top scorer, whereas Fulham and Bournemouth both very much played through these uh, key players and based their teams around them. So you know, then integrating um, from sort of a Bournemouth perspective, you've got these dynamic uh, advanced midfielders that can progress the ball quickly. Um, but also if you've got a really good quality dribbler, sort of from a tactical perspective, that can probably mean Solanke can just push further forward. He'll have less roles, um, or less of a role, sorry, in terms of build-up play, which isn't a problem because, as we've seen from sort of last season, he can definitely do that part of the game of, of play back to goal. Um, I noted that him and Billing, uh, they were the top assist to goal scorer combo um, for, for Bournemouth last season, but had a couple of really neat uh, exchanges on the edge of the area uh, where they then slotted in uh, Solanke to score. There was a great one at Millwall away in particular that sort of stood out to me. So seeing how those ones integrate uh, is one to watch as far as I'm concerned. Really excited about Solanke. I, I genuinely think he's a striker without too many glaring weaknesses. The sorts of weaknesses that can be massively highlighted when you step up to the very top level of, of, of European, of world football. Um, I'm feeling pretty good about him. I really think he, I mean, even without the ball, he's incredibly hardworking in the press. Um, he's, he's, he's very athletic, very mobile. Um, he scores a lot of different types of goals. Is he the the coolest, most natural finisher we've seen at championship level? No, probably not. But he's pretty relentless at getting into good positions. And, and of all of the Bournemouth players, he's the one that I think is is most ready to, to make his uh, to make his mark. Which, given the the position that he plays, is is a big tick in the box. I was going to say as well, would this kind of be the the equivalent of the Patrick Bamford sort of breakout year as well? Because he he played obviously for for Bournemouth in the Premier League, played for Liverpool, but it was a very stop start coming on as a substitute mm. sort of. Uh, role that he played obviously very young when he was there as well that you know the quality that he possesses obviously you've seen him you know a lot Ali 29 goals in the championship last season is is an outstanding return um, 
and I think it will be this yeah as you say now he makes the move up to the Premier League that he will be here to stay um, and that those skills can actually translate to the Premier League which was the sort of the question mark I think over Patrick Bamford a couple of seasons ago and I think Patrick Bamford answered that emphatically I think Solanke will probably do the same I just think if you look at the profile of striker in the Premier League, uh, the sorts of strikers that that thrive in in, in modern styles and systems, uh, particularly as lone strikers, and and the amount of workload that they have outside of just goal scoring, I think Solanke fits into that mould pretty well. So really excited to to see him go. Let's talk Nottingham Forest. Uh, Steve Cooper in charge, known as a very thoughtful tactician, had a huge reputation um, at. At sort of academy and youth level before getting his first managerial chance with Swansea, made the playoffs two years in a row with Swans, took over from from Chris Hewton, uh, a Nottingham Forest side that had five points from their first nine games of last season uh, and, and guided them from the relegation zone to the playoff places before winning against Huddersfield at Wembley. Uh, Liam, you, you've watched a fair bit of, of Forest uh, this summer, taking a look at them from a tactical perspective. Talk me through their, their basic shape, key aspects to their game. I mean, first of all, I'd implore anyone to watch back their FA Cup run. I think they're four mm-hmm. of the most exciting games that you, you'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a real sort of consistency. And uh, noted in his first interview at the club uh, with their YouTube channel, uh, Steve Cooper said that he's got a real clear tactical identity of how he wants a team to play. And that sort of defensively manifests into a 3-4-1-2 in sort of a mid or a low block. Um, they're not a particularly great pressing team and just don't frequently tend to press. But that's really due to their ability uh, and desire, it seems, to want to hit teams on the break. So by sitting deeper, they encourage teams to play expansively they commit numbers forward and that makes obviously the space that they then want to to break on the counter um, and with that back three I think an interesting sort of um, result this probably isn't deliberate but that gives them obviously an extra central defender and that seems to do wonders for them at set pieces they were among sort of the top three or four best championship teams last season there really um, both in terms of fewest goals conceded at set pieces uh, and goals scored as well um, and they scored a couple of set piece goals against Huddersfield and against Leicester in the cup run too so they're, they're really exciting on the break but they're really exciting off set pieces too so um, I think there's something in the Forest team for everyone really Yeah I think despite Forest being the ones who've come up via the the playoffs I think they're probably the the team who whose style can translate the most to the Premier League we spoke about Fulham and, and Bournemouth and their sort of clear identity that the way that they play as you described there Liam is probably more conducive to, to playing in the Premier League where you're not you know, they're not going to necessarily have as much of the ball but that's kind of fine with them so I looked at their average possession last season 50% last season which was the 10th highest in the championship which is kind of fine they had the second highest um, volume for direct attacks in the championship last season so that gives you a clear enough indication from that alone of their style that they're sort of happy to not necessarily have the ball but direct um, you know have a lot of counter-attacks um, you know very regularly so that could be a, a real threat considering they've they've honed that they've brought in some good signings as well which I'm sure we'll come on to so despite them being the ones who kind of came up last um, and not you know at the top top end are doing it automatically, I think their style actually might be the most conducive to the Premier League. I'm very conscious also of not just painting this for our side as a pure set-piece counter-attack team. They're not sort of um, a really sort of old-school old school English side, but I think sort of the favourite goal that they seemed to repeatedly score for me was one that Brennan Johnson always seemed to be on the end of, um, where they'd often recycle the ball along the back three. Sometimes they'd, they'd include play with the goalkeeper, um, and then they draw teams onto them, and obviously we're seeing uh, a real rise in high lines in the Premier League, and that's that's across teams, and they then go di- uh, direct from the centre-back uh, into the striker running in behind. Uh, the best example for me is the assist from Sam Surrey, for Johnson in that playoff semi-final second leg um, you know getting that striker running beyond the defensive line pulling it across the face of goal uh, and Brennan Johnson you know sliding in at, at real speed um, to score so uh, I think their versatility um, you know to have that in open play as well but have these real specific moments in the game where they offer real quality and can be really dangerous um, I would probably have them based on the current uh, squad depth or, or their lack of really uh, Bournemouth and Fulham that you know Forrest could quite well be the ones that come up the best of this mm. I think we've already seen an example of of that sort of goal in, in pre-season as well. So mm. I'm, I'm sure that'll uh, be a real avenue for them to, to continue to thrive in. Brennan Johnson has some serious speed and seemingly a very good knack or or a good sense of timing runs and, and bending runs and, and breaking off side traps. And as you say, Liam, we're... we're spent a whole of last season talking about high lines in in the Premier League and uh, we hope that Johnson will you know I'm always loath to put too much pressure on these guys too early because it's a completely different ball game in the Premier League to the Championship but Johnson two years ago on loan at Lincoln City was sensational playing as a a, a more 
um, classic winger, uh, but still racked up the goals and assists, and then straight away into the Forest side and was their key man, you'd say, going forward last season as well. So um, someone to watch, obviously a, a Wales international uh, as well. So um, going to the World Cup, you would hope, you would expect. It definitely sounds from what you guys are saying that, that this is a, a playing style that should be more suited to an immediate uh, step up to the Premier League compared to the other two where we seem a bit less certain about what it's going to look like. That doesn't mean they can't thrive. It doesn't mean they can't adapt. But it does feel like for Forest, tactically at least, there doesn't need to be huge changes made. Um, and the areas in which they thrived last season um, shape out of possession, being pretty happy to sit in and defend when when necessary. And then the, the avenues of attack can kind of be copy and pasted a little bit easier maybe than, than with Fulham and Bournemouth. I think a real big point to note as well is the starts of the season. I think all three on, off a piece that um, that was covered by, by the Athletic, all three are among the top five teams, the toughest starts um, to the season. And, and you know, then to be able to sit back and defend and go long spells without possession against sort of some top sides is is really really important. And Forest obviously showed that in their cup run. So all three have got tough starts, and I think Forest style probably suits playing those bigger teams that little bit better. But the main part of uncertainty. And I suppose excitement for Nottingham Forest is is it's been a very heavy summer of recruitment, necessarily so, because Steve Cooper has a very good reputation at championship level for his loan signings and a large part of Forest's team in the back end of last season were players on loan. So of the 15 players that played more than 1,000 minutes for Forest in the championship last season, only nine of them remained at the club. There were gaps to fill. And they have have done so pretty aggressive and early in their transfer business and a lot of players that I'd like to know about. So let's start with the striker, Awaniyi. His performances are likely to be crucial to their level of attacking threat. They had Aloni from Villa last season, Keenan Davis, who played the foil to Brennan Johnson magnificently and offered a lot uh, all over the park. What can Awaniyi do uh, in this team? Mark, you know him well from his days as a as a Liverpool legend. As mm. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool legend, yeah, playing absolutely no games. I think it was a um, permit work permit issue that why well, he couldn't, but he went on loan uh, to multiple different clubs. But most recently, is he was you know si- a permanent signing um, at Union Berlin and did really well in the in the Bundesliga. He was key to their success. They finished fifth last season. He scored fifteen goals in total, uh, twelve non penalty goals, and he was scoring at a rate of. 0.5 per 90. So he's scoring at one in two and that matched quite closely his his expected goals. So it shows a bit of repeatability there. And, you know, if he can replicate that at, at Forest, I think they'll be very happy with that sort of return. And I think one of the key things was that he was getting into high quality areas, high XG per shot from, from what I saw in the numbers. And Union Berlin played in a very sort of transitional counter-attacking style as well, which I think is a key reason why his style and the style will will really suit him at Forest for the same reasons that we've just said. So in terms of his attributes, very strong, very fast, sort of underrated for just how much pace he, he carries. So you think of, you know, with Brennan Johnson as well, maybe Jesse Lingard in behind. There's there's a real strong attack there, I think, quite, you know, forming there. Um, not the gro- not the most graceful in his manner he's sometimes a little bit kind of bumbly not necessarily always neat in possession but that doesn't matter too much he's more effective than than maybe aesthetically pleasing but um i think one thing as well is that he might need to be looked after a little bit with maybe the intensity of his style so I looked into the numbers and he was substituted off in 28 of his 29 starts. Now, that's probably because he runs himself into the ground a little bit, which is, you know, you'll take that because, you know, get a good return from him for most of the game. But uh, yeah, just maybe one to be aware of that you might not always last the full 90 minutes. And that was in the Bundesliga. So you think about the, the physical intensity of the Premier League as well. So very, very exciting signing though. Do not get me wrong. I think that whole attack that is forming um, at Forest is, is really exciting. Yeah, I want to ye Brennan Johnson... The sort of nominal front two, Johnson takes up a lot of, of wide positions, so it doesn't always look like a, a striker playing through the middle. Mm. Uh, and in behind them, well, last season they had Zinkenagel on loan from, from Watford. He performed really well and, and was at times a, a creative spark that they needed, as well as being pretty uh, tenacious off the ball as well. Uh, th- the name that they will have replaced him with is Jesse Lingard. There's been a lot talked about this transfer. We're going to focus on the, the footballing fit, Liam, and it looks good. Looks really good. Um, people will most recently remember his excellent loan spell at West Ham. Uh, came in sort of in uh, the winter window and scored scored a load of goals, set up a few as well. And, and a lot of them looked in that very similar mould um, and a very 
large amount of similarity between West Ham and Forest in terms of that ability to attack on the break from deep. Um, not always a case of just sort of carrying the ball and scoring. Uh, lots of times he's combining with players, uh, with Mikel Antonio in particular. So I think that in terms of the ability to integrate a signing, we spoke about Forest having a style that sort of suits uh, the Premier League. I think they also should benefit. I like Watawa, who's somebody who played in the front to a Union Berlin. Um, you know, having these players that will have undertaken similar positions and played in sort of a similar style, um, at least I can say now, before the benefit of hindsight, that um, I'd anticipate these players hopefully to you know hit the ground running uh, incredibly quickly. And, and Jesse Lingard, I think, is someone who. You know, it's had a lot of talk about uh, his personality and, and, and how he performs. Um, having watched him, you know, in his earlier EFL days, in his loan spells at Birmingham and at Brighton, um, has always sort of shown his talent and his technical ability. So uh, really, really hoping for him that this is the move, um, at least permanently, that really, really kicks him on because he's a very, very talented player. Mark, in the back three, you have Joe Worrell, local lad, um, incredible leader, has played a ton of games at a really young age, has absolutely earned his shot uh, at a Premier League season and will certainly be a, a, one of the first names on the team sheet. On the other side, the, the, the left side of the three, Scott McKenna, a good progressive passer, Definitely, from my perspective, some question marks about his uh, athleticism, his speed on the turn, and, and whether the sorts of strikers and forward players he's going to be up against might might cause him some problems on that front, and that remains to be seen. Steve Cook was brought in in, in January to play in that central defensive spot and performed pretty well, but another player who, if he's isolated against an attacking player with any kind of athleticism or speed or physicality, can look really out of his depth and... and you can kind of see that in some of the early transfer business they made. Uh, Cook is expected not to be starting too many games at this level, I think it's fair to say. But Musa Niakate has been brought in, Mark, and earmarked for that role. Yeah, and I'm glad you said his surname because I wasn't entirely sure how to, to pronounce it. And I must say, I haven't seen a, a great deal of him, um, but I looked into his numbers at, at Mines last year and... Uh, you know, he played a lot of minutes, so it shows just how integral he was to the team. Played more as a left centre back uh, last year, but as you say, he's, I think sort of shoehorned to be a, uh, a central uh, figure in terms of the central defender of the three uh, for Forest in the coming season. And I think that's what has already happened in you know, a pre season game um, for Forest against Hertha Berlin. And I looked into some of the reports on what people were sort of thinking of him, and they said, you know, glowingly that he showed real good leadership and real control from the back and always sort of showing to to receive the ball and I think um, again looking at his statistical profile on the ball he's a real good progressive passer um, and the numbers show him to be not necessarily the most active in his defensive actions but certainly very effective so I think that will be a you know a real step up as well and there's just so many Forest players that are coming through the door as well so you've got all across the the starting 11 and you think about Players like Lewis O'Brien um, and Harry Toffolo as well coming from Huddersfield as a pair. Um, and you'll know better than myself, Ali, from from their EFL uh, days, just how much, well, what do you think that they will be able to make the step up as, as comfortably as a as a pair from the from the Championship to the I'm Premier I'm probably League? less sure on Harry Toffolo, the left wing back. Uh, he had a fantastic last few months of last season with Huddersfield making the playoffs. And in particular, just suddenly found some goal scoring form, which, which he'd previously never really shown um, I'm probably less confident in saying that he's a, a sure thing to make the step up and of course they signed Omar Richards as well before Toffolo and I think had he not picked up a pre-season injury um, Toffolo that signing may not have happened and, and if it had done it was very much as a backup whereas now I guess we will expect to see him play some minutes I love Lewis O'Brien I think he's been one of the best and most kind of under-the-radar championship players over the last two seasons. Uh, central midfield player, left-footed, incredible tenacity, incredible stamina, just a real appetite for the dirty side of the game, an appetite to press, an appetite for, to, to tackle, but a smart player as well. Kind of, you know, He's been coached really well by Carlos Corberan to become the sort of midfield player that can basically fulfil it any role to a certain level of competency he's the word I always use last season to describe O'Brien is is system proof he, he is the sort of player yeah. Yeah. that you can find a role for him to play in any midfield whether you're playing 4-4-2 4-3-3 a, a box midfield whatever it is O'Brien has a spot because he, he can impact games positively with, with his skill set which is such an all-round skill set so again big step up to the Premier League I'm sure he'll be up for it I'm sure he'll mix it really well he's not an incredible creator he's not an unbelievable progressive passer but he's tidy he can keep things simple I think alongside the right type of midfielder who maybe could be more of a, a progressive passer O'Brien will be absolutely fine and I think could look like a brilliant piece of business only 23 as well 
I know it's only a loan signing, but I want to make a real shout here uh, for Dean Henderson as well as a real quality addition um, for Foresters. Uh, I don't have the specific numbers to hand, uh, but I do know that based off of his post-shot XG numbers, um, you know, stats from data via, via FB Ref, when he was at Sheffield United um, in their first Premier League season, when, when they came up, he was ridiculously good as a shot stopper. Um, and he's quite a good distance kicker as well, which is going to suit Forrest in their tendency to sort of play onto and into their strikers. Um, so, you know, in terms of adding in all those puzzle pieces, uh, he definitely seemed to tick that box. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So, Nottingham Forest, Fulham, Bournemouth. We've tried to dissect as best we can how they will look heading into this Premier League season and potentially how they might fare in trying to achieve something that's difficult to achieve and that is surviving in the Premier League after winning promotion from the Championship. Huge thank you to Liam uh, and to Mark for their expertise on the subject. Really fun discussion uh, for this week's podcast. I'm now going to stick one on you basically uh, and ask you for some quick fire Premier League predictions for the season that starts this weekend. Um, I'm going to ask you for your winners first and foremost. Liam, first pod, first prediction. Who's going to win the Premier League title this season? I think it's going to go to the blue half of Manchester uh, once again. Uh, be, be close, so sorry, Mark, but um, I can see City uh, holding on to it. <laughs> I'll go as well. I mean, you've got to join us as well, Ali, in, in terms of these predictions. I My heart says Liverpool, but my head does also say Manchester City. I think that injuries could be important in terms of if they can both keep a, a full-strength side, then you know we'll see. But um, yeah, unfortunately, Manchester City for me. I think... Liverpool on goal difference. Okay. <laughs> I don't actually think. I, okay. I think Liverpool will win the league by one point. I've just, as I said it, I realise it's unlikely they'll have a better goal difference <laughs> than City. Um, but yeah, I'm going to lean towards the the settled Liverpool side. Uh, what about the the rest of the top four? Obviously, City and Liverpool. Um, we expect to finish within it. There are two other spots up for grabs, and, and plenty of teams going for them. Liam, any hot takes? I'm going to back Spurs to feature in the top three, I think. Um, they've made some really good signings this window. We, we haven't really touched on Jed Spence, who was a real key part of, uh, of Forrest uh, last season, but uh, mm. he's a really exciting wing back and seems to sort of fill some some problems for them there, I think, with uh, Gianni Vio, their new set-piece coach, you know, f- uh, formerly of the Italian national side at the Euros. Um, they seem to be sort of ticking those those final boxes as well. Um, I think they are largely sort of ready to go. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think City, Liverpool, Spurs, I will include, and I'm Going to go for Manchester United, and I think that Chelsea, judging by their pre-season, I know it's very early doors, but they just seem to be. There's just things don't seem to be too great there at the moment in terms of things coming up from Thomas Tuchel. So I'm going to say United sneaking fourth. What about you? Adam? I'll take. It just seems like everything's trending in the right direction for both North London sides, Tottenham and Arsenal, yeah. and I'm really confident that one of them won't make it because it's Tottenham and Arsenal and yet <laughs> taking all emotion and taking any of that nonsense out 
Uh, I think they're both in pretty good shape. So Spurs and Arsenal for me in the top four with City and Liverpool. Uh, a, a most improved team. This was uh, just trying to get a team from that sort of middle chunk that you think might really kick on this season and look a lot better. Liam? My take for this is going to go one of two ways. It's either going to be really, really fantastic or it's going to look terrible. And that's Leeds because I've watched them in pre-season and they're obviously trying a few different things under Jesse Marsh. They've, they've brought in quite a few signings as well. Um, but, you know, they're, they're completely high risk, high reward now of, of high press, counter press um, and another transitional team. So I think if everything sticks together and, and goes well for them, and particularly if they get a good start, they could be well up the table. Uh, if it doesn't, um, I think it could quite well be trending in the opposite direction. So uh, hoping that that turns out positively. Um, for me I'm going to go Aston Villa I think there's a narrative that they did really well last season I know that Gerard wasn't there for the the whole season but they finished 14th last season which I think is worth reminding everyone but um, bringing in Bubakar Kamara you know on a free is an outstanding piece of business I think obviously Philip Coutinho is going to have a full season uh, Jacob Ramsey is going to kick on again they've got Leon Bailey Emi Buendia with Ings and Watkins ahead I mean on paper that team should be pushing for Europe so to improve from 14th should be an absolute no-brainer. Um, they lost um, Mick Beal. I was going to say Michael Beal, but I know from your podcast, Ali, that it should be Mick Beal um, in their sort of backroom staff. Um, they brought in Neil Critchley, obviously former Blackpool manager, and he's now obviously on the going to be quite integral, I think, in the, the coaching staff. And I think it's a pretty good trade. Um, so I think they've made a lot of good signings in the staff and in the um, on the pitch. So I think Aston Villa for me. I'll go with Palace. Uh, a lot of that, that young, talented core from last season, another year more experienced. Uh, and they're a team last season who just drew so many games, 15 in total. Uh, and I'm going to lean on some of those draws turning into more wins for Palace. So they were 12th last season with 48 points, um, but a positive goal difference. The only team in the bottom half that finished with a positive goal difference. Decent open play XG numbers. Uh, let's go with Patrick Vieira and Palace. Which one of that chunk might we be concerned about? I'm just going to come out with it and say Everton. Uh, I know that you know even to put them in the same breath as some of these teams is probably wrong. I remain very concerned about them. Um, I remain concerned about uh, Lampard's tactical nous. To be honest, at this level, uh, I remain concerned about the, the squad that he has at his disposal and some of the key players that, that they've lost and that things could turn pretty difficult quite quickly if things don't start well. And, and then again, you'd just be relying on a good appointment to try and get you out of it. I, I'm not sure how long you can get away with that. Um, and My perception is there are just fewer obviously poor teams this season. You know, we've gone through the three promoted sides and, of course, you know, we're, we're we're not confident that any of them will stay up, but outside of them, Everton for me the, the biggest concern. What about you, Liam? I, I think Everton is definitely a fair one. Uh, they seem to be treading water for a lot of sort of the tail end of last season and and stayed up. You know, they got the results that they needed, but without being particularly exceptional. Uh, I think Southampton might struggle as well without sort of uh, without Brozier, um and having that sort of firepower. They seem to tail off weirdly as well. They seem to start seasons well and and really sort of hit a brick wall and have some real game management issues of you know taking the lead and then not being able to see it results. So whether that catches up with them, and um, we'll be interested to see. To be honest, I agree with both of those shouts. Um, just to be different, I'm going to say Leicester. Um, they've had no signings. I think they're the only club in, in Europe who've had no signings. They've lost or they're losing, about to lose Kasper Schmeichel, maybe even losing Wesley Fofana as well, who, granted, he wasn't um, playing last season because he was injured, but a fantastic defender. And if you take him out of the side, Leicester are far weaker. Um, they can't rely on Jamie Vardy all the time. Um, so for me, I think that not necessarily that Leicester have a you know a chance of going down or anything, but I just think they're on a bit of a downward spiral, which is a bit of a concern. I'm not going to make you pick three relegated teams. I don't think there's much point in that at this stage. We've spoken about the three that have come up from the championship and we look forward to seeing how they go, how they adapt. Huge thank you to Liam Tharp for making your debut on the pod. A fantastic performance as well. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and cheers to Mark Carey as always. It all starts this weekend, the Premier League 22-23 season. We will not be short of talking points on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast this season. So make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed. New episodes dropping every single week. Head to theathletic.com forward slash tactics. Great deal on your annual subscription. If you sign up today using that link, you can check out uh, Liam's debut pieces on site. And join us next week on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. The Athletic.